Hello everyone, welcome to Business of Building. I'm very excited today. I am going to be speaking to Mr. Bern Hacker. He has been my mentor for many years now and is just absolute pleasure to be sharing this experience with all of you as well. He is the CEO of Red Bull Consumer Products. Mr. Harker brings deep experience in the luxury consumer goods and technology sector. Prior to his CEO role at leading energy drink company Red Bull, he served as global chief commercial officer of Hugo Boss, a leading fashion and lifestyle brand. This was following his senior executive roles in the business development, product and brand management. Previously, he worked at a private equity including Price Waterhouse, Commerce Bank and Noksha Capital. Bernd is an empathetic, market-orientated turnaround architect and high-growth executive who has worked and lived in US and Europe for companies with global operations and led strategic international expansions, delivering strong revenue gains. I have known him to grow businesses. I worked with him when he has grown businesses and I can't wait to share his journey with you. Thank you so much, Bern, for joining us today and welcome to Business of Building. Bern, thank you so much for joining us today at Business of Building. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure and my um, I have been so excited to record this uh, interview with you. So thank you for joining us. Um, well, let's uh, dive in deep right away. Uh, can you just talk to us about your personal journey so far? from the beginning, as it were. First of all, thank you very much for getting into this interview. Very excited. My personal journey is the following. I've been starting my career in a bank. So I was a banker. Uh, Then I studied, uh, went to America, worked for Pricewaterhouse on the consultancy side, where I implemented uh, SAP together with a big team for Siemens. Within this, uh, I have been able to meet my boss at Hugo Boss, uh, Mr. Zelser, who was the chief commercial officer at the time, and he then became the CEO. And he asked me, Bernd, would you you like to join a company which is on a dynamic growth path, which is a premium luxury brand, and where we want to internationalize the business. And I got really, really excited. I got excited about his vision. I got excited about him, but I also got excited about the product I am supposed to sell. So I joined the company in 1997 as the manager for business development. And this meant uh, I had to do every project was on my table besides the projects uh, which related to the product. (laughs) <laughs> and I've been very fortunate. So at the time, the business was uh, 400 million euro turnover. It was quite a small luxury, premium luxury brand. The distribution was done via agencies. It was a clear agency model. And w- with this in mind, we were not able to control and manage the distribution. So our first task was to buy back the agencies, the main agencies in America, in the UK, in France, but also in China, and to set up a subsidiary. And the subsidiary was always very similar uh, because it was a wholesale-driven business model, meaning that we sold to independent stores, to department stores, to franchise partners, and to airports. Yeah, and with this in mind, we uh, we started to built an organization which was led by a managing director mm-hmm. with a finance person. 
And underneath were a wholesale team, there was marketing, there was supply chain management, there was finance controlling and uh, as important HR. And this we could implement into each of our new subsidiaries. Yeah. And from there, we started to manage the distribution. We cut back a lot of uh, channels which were not productive and which were not creating desire. And from here, from there, we, uh, we went into rolling out our model globally was very successful over the next eight years. We more than doubled our business and which was as good. We strengthened brand desirability because we were in full control about the distribution. Uh, once we had more or less 30, 35 subsidiaries opened, we said, okay, now is the time for us to buy back licensed partners. And the licensed products we had were bodywear, were socks, were leather accessories, were shirts. Mm -hmm. In 2003, I had the idea to buy back our shoes and accessories license partner. Mm -hmm. With this in mind, I became the opportunity to be a CEO of shoes and accessories for Hugo Boss. It was a my first turnaround. Yeah, so the company was doing 45 million euro turnover and was losing 15 million. Um, so the request was to turn it around, make it profitable, okay. and to build and scale the shoes and accessories division. Um, I've been very, very fortunate that I have been able to develop a team out of three uh, segments. One segment was uh, Hugo Boss employees yeah, who were like to join another category. The second was to um, keep the the main management team of our license partner of MA Shoes and Accessories. And the third one, as this was as exciting, was to find new talents okay. from the luxury field, yeah, from Gucci, from Prada, but also from the mass market. So we also employed people from H&M, we employed people from Otto. And uh, the exciting part was to manage them and to, yeah, to inspire them for a new product category at Hugo Boss. I truly loved this time and it has been very successful for the team and also for myself. We developed the turnover from 45 million to 175 million in four years time. So it was a boom phase of our, yeah, of our uh, development. And this gave me the opportunity to personally develop my career into brand director boss, the main brand at the time 1.6 billion euro turnover. Uh, we've been at the time a very, very proud company. Our pockets were full of money and we were thinking about buying new brands. And I say this because all of a sudden, Pamira, a private equity company, bought us in 2007. And with this, we lost our CEO. We lost our, out of the management team, we lost probably 50%. We became a new CEO, which was Mr. Lars. And he came in with the desire to transform the business from a wholesale-driven business model towards a retail-driven business model. Okay. And this sounds very, very simple, but it's actually it is a fundamental change in how you build your culture, yeah. how you build your performance, and how you uh, create desire for your products, but also create desire for your brand. Um, I've been working on this strategy together with Mr. Lars for approximately 18 months. And then he asked me, so Bernd, what is the next step for you? And I said, you know, um, I've now worked in building strategies. I've now worked in building also product and brands. I think the missing part for me is building a brand in a marketplace. And so he said to me at the time, 
okay, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Spain or do you want to go to the UK? And after a short consideration, I said, you know what, let's move to London. It's always a place which I was inspired by, which I loved. I love the people. I love the culture. I love uh, I love the experience of retail, to be very honest. Yeah. And so I joined the company in 2009 and became the managing director for for UK and Ireland. Yeah. And um, the company was extremely successful when I took it over. Yeah. So uh, just to go back into the agency model, the agency, we, we drove the agency model up until uh, 85 in the UK. And the agent was able to make and develop the brand from zero to 20 million. And at the time, everybody was saying, you know, this is superb, uh, 20 million, a huge market. Uh, uh, this should be the finish line. Mm -hmm. So we took it over, brought in the first MD, and he developed the business from 85 to 95, from 20 to 40 million. And what he did was he started to go into department stores mm -hmm. and uh, be a, a category leader in many department stores. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So then Hans Schmidt took over and everybody was saying, you know what, the market is now 40 million. It's a, the market is fully covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the so, top. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So he came in and he developed the market to 75 million. So he also doubled the business. And he did this by uh, working very, very closely on productivity with the department stores, mm -hmm. but also uh, getting a, a better distribution by your franchise partners. So mm -hmm. he developed Mossbros into a franchise partner. He developed Julio into a franchise partner. And though after four years, four and a half years, he was at, um, at 75, 80 million. I think it was 75 at the time. And though I was sitting together with Mr. Larsen, he said to me, you know what, why do you want to go to the UK? It is fully covered, 75 million, it's on the top. Yeah? Why don't you go to Spain? This is a growth market. And I said, you know, because I strongly believe there is much more to come. Hmm. And uh, with our strategy, I believe we can double the business. And he, he laughed and he said to me, you know what, Bernd, if you and your team will deliver 90 to 100 million in five years time, you can be very, very proud. Yeah. So I went there, we transformed the business and we had a clear vision of five key elements what we wanted to change. One was we want to consistently drive the brand desirability across the UK and Ireland. This means we were working together with the key partners in regards to how our brand should look like. We were also talking to people, to, to key partners who uh, were with the brand for 20, 30, 40 years. And uh, we told them that if they are not transformed, the business on how they trade, yeah, we believe them. And we were talking with our franchise partners that it was definitely for us that we would take them over. Mm. In the beginning, it was a shock, but I think we did it very, very fair. And within 18 months, the brand desirability in the marketplace gained momentum. The second part, which is very important when you move from wholesale to retail, is that you build your processes and structures differently. So wholesale to give it to you is you sell two times a year towards your wholesale customers with the you seasons ship, isn't it? yes absolutely you, sh you ship your products you deliver it and uh, you once or twice uh, go into uh, some of your stores and visit and have an understanding of what sells well what doesn't sell so good and then you change it in retail 
this is daily work. Yeah? In retail, you really need to be on top of it. You need to understand your customers. You need to understand the people on the shop floor. And you also need to understand what kind of merchandise works where. So you really need to cluster. And you and your team need to very, very closely monitor numbers and then make decisions out of data. Yeah? And this we did. This we did together, though, every Monday morning we were sitting together analyzing last week. And then we, uh, and the teams were from marketing, from sales, from uh, HR, from shop construction, as you know, <laughs> and from, uh, and from uh, supply chain management and from merchandising. And we were making store by store uh, modifications on how we trade and how we prepare ourselves for next week and how we prepare ourselves for next month's especially when there were trade, important trade messages sent. Um, so processes is a very, very important tool. It's also about training your people on new IT systems, yeah, which are not anymore looking into a wholesale model, but into a retail model. The third one was that we were sitting together with GFK and that we were building our distribution roadmap that we were looking into the UK market and into the Irish market and we were market by market looking where do we have opportunities from the retail side? Mm -hmm. Where do we have opportunities from the concession side? But also where do we have opportunities in regards to building our wholesale environment? Yeah? And so we were sitting together with all partners and told them in London, we have the potential to become a 150 million euro brand. We are at the moment at 50 million. So let's work together on developing productivity. And uh, more and more key partners responded because they saw the opportunity, they saw the build of the desirability of the brand, and they also saw that, the, that we collaborated with them closely. And this meant that we were working very, very closely week by week also with them in regards to sellouts, sell-throughs, and uh, what we can do to better perform the business together with them. The fourth element of, our, of my strategy was to build talent. Yeah, so when I started in the UK, we were 70, uh, sorry, 90 employees. When I finished, we were 900 employees. Yeah, so it's all about managing talent. It's all about really seeing who are the best performers and how can I build their career in the store, in the head office, but also in other stores and for a global brand like Hugo Boss also, what are the opportunities globally? And this very much engages and inspires the young employees yeah, when they see opportunities for themselves. Yeah, when they deliver, they have the opportunity to grow. And last but not least, in retail, it's very, very easy to grow the revenue. Mm. It is more difficult to grow profitability. So it's also very important that you work together with your finance department and with your merchandising to make sure that uh, profitability remains a key driver. Yeah, and this usually comes via merchandising via fixed cost control and via really building your your margin yeah, upwards yeah, and this we did very well as well so uh, our margin went up from 12 percent to 18 percent within the four and a half years and in the end as i highlighted we went from 75 million to 170 million well why do i say this and this is the important lesson yeah is when, when i left when i left my uh so the next CEO of, of the UK and Ireland asked me, you know what, Bernd, you are now at 175 million. Uh, what is in for me? <laughs> and I said to Stefan at the time, you know what, it's in for you that you need to double the business. And we both smiled. 
five years later, he was able to double the business. So this shows if you have a vision, if you build your team, if you build your processes, and if you really execute your strategy together with your team, what can be delivered? The sky is the limit. And this is my strong belief. So thereafter, I went into Europe, became the managing director for or the senior vice president for EMEA. And since 2016, I became the chief commercial officer of Hugo Boss. In 2020, I left Hugo Boss after 22 years. Uh, has been uh, like breaking up with your girlfriend. It was a very, very difficult exercise. Um, I went into private equity yeah, because I really enjoyed the time with Pamira. Um, was there for two years, was working on projects in uh, Southeast Asia yeah, on a uh, retailer who wanted to become digital, on a uh, app which uh, wanted to integrate all, all the merchandise of the big supermarkets. And we sold two companies, which was also fun. However, what was missing was product. And so I decided to move into the Red Bull world brand, which always inspired myself. And I'm running here a startup yeah, with three divisions. One division is Alta, uh, Alpha Tauri, which is a luxury brand, which we need to develop and scale uh, towards uh, a globally uh, successful premium luxury brand. The second is uh, we are developing a sports brand under the uh, name of Red Bull, which is also very exciting. And uh, we have a merchandising part of Red Bull Formula One, Red Bull Soccer, Red Bull Hockey, uh, which we are going to distribute. And we have a huge and scalable license business. So it's again up for growth. It's, very, it's a very exciting time here. It's absolutely fantastic, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you gave four learning points uh, of your journey in BOSS, which is, you know, teams, it's profitability, it's processes. So is, is that what you're applying again? Because I'm thinking from, even from my perspective, it, yeah give you an example like the what can i apply for the growth of our businesses and what is the cookie cutter as it there is no cookie cutter i understand yeah. but yeah. what can what can any business owner or any person who is joining a business which is on a growth curve what are the lessons they need to learn i guess one of the things which probably you might say is also agility because you need to yeah. know that you need to be the person delivering it right I, I, absolutely. I, I fully agree to this. And the interesting part is coming from a business which is 3 billion towards a smaller business. And especially with Alpha Tauri, we have a startup. Yeah. You need to definitely change uh, your behavior and you need to definitely change your uh, how you act within your organization, but also how you act outside. There's one key element which I think is never changing. I always put product before profitability. Yeah, so yeah. it is, I think it is very, very important that uh, however big you are, that you look first of all, do you love the product? Do you love the marketing idea behind it? Yeah, and then you have to think about profit in the, sex, uh, in the next step. Profit is the driver. Profit is very, very important. But if the product is not right, yeah. I think profit will never come. Yeah. The second point is agility and focus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. which is uh, which is the opposite a bit yeah it is uh, yeah i think you need to be crystal clear on where you want to stand what you want to deliver and how you want to win your customers mm -hmm. 
And then if you are crystal clear and focused, you need to be agile enough to look for the opportunities within the marketplace yeah. and the opportunities each of your customers is going to deliver. Okay. So next, next point, which I think is very, very important is empathy. Yeah, it is uh, how you work together with your team, how interested you are in your team, how interested you are also in your, um, in your partners. I think makes or breaks deals yeah, and uh, actually helps you to find your niche in the marketplace. Yeah? Because I think many, many businesses are looking for their gain first. Mm. I truly believe that collaboration and also looking what is good for your customer is something which helps you to, to find your white spot mm. in the marketplace. Yeah? And then I always say uh, what is also important for me is simplification. Yeah, The more complex it is, the more difficult it is to sell. So it is really about make your product simple, explain it simple, make your processes simple, and make your org structure simple so that internal and external people know exactly who to contact mm -hmm. when they have a challenge. Yeah. Which is which is so important. I guess the the team the team part um is quite close to me because that you know I became a part of Hugo Boss at that growth curve side of it and you were already I how do I say it? Uh, you were my boss's boss's Boss, I suppose, <laughs> if, if I have to layer it up a bit, but still, I, I, you know, these elements had a huge impact on me and just honing in on the empathy side of it. You still, whenever you were in UK, you took time to catch up with me and ask me how things were and, you know, removed so many layers down, if I may. It yeah. still it had a huge impact on me that you had a chance to listen to me or you wanted to know what was happening and that made i've learned from it so yeah. i definitely try to use that and definitely try to reach out to our teams as well and that was so impactful and is that something you look look for it in a leader like if you're training someone for the leadership roles what what would your message be for them what would you advise them this I've actually learned from my first CEO, Mr. Zelser. Yeah, he always said it's not about what kind of level sits on the table, is what you deliver on the table. Yeah, and he was listening to uh, to the smallest, youngest employee if he would have something to say which was valuable, as much as he would listen to the uh, chief commercial officer at the time. Yeah, and this inspired me a lot because it gave every employee the opportunity to voice his thoughts and to be listened to. So this does not mean that anything which is said is then also delivered, but mm -hmm. it gives employees, I think, a very, very strong tool to be part of the big picture. Yeah? And for me, uh, the engagement face-to-face -face is a key element of motivating teams, mm -hmm. is a key element of uh, keeping flexible in your mind. And I really believe that the 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you talk with key members yeah? and key members are not defined by, by title, mm -hmm. but are defined by what they deliver is off and is worth any time. So my recommendation to any manager is at least 10% of your time should be freed up. Mm -hmm. yeah, go out of your office, uh, go more often out of your office than 10%, but uh, use 10% to really to talk with with key peoples of your team, wherever degree they are in. Keeps the organization flat. 
Yeah. Well, that's a very good. I I guess what the one thing which comes to my head is post COVID, and I'm so sorry I'm going to use the C word here, but like <laughs> leadership and management of teams where you have the hybrid working environment, so you know you can't walk out and see your teams sometimes. So how you know the shift the shift has been quite a bit. I was attending um um. A talk yesterday in the evening as well and it just talks about flexibility and how the teams are coming back to the office or not coming back to the office how does a leader or a manager look at that on i might be a bit old-fashioned on this point yeah uh, i i truly i am very very happy that when the pandemic came that many companies have been able to switch from one day to the next, not believing into a home office. Yeah? And it was working for many companies very well in regards to communicating and in regards to keeping the business as efficient as possible. Yeah? But now I hear employees, young employees who say, you know what, I don't want to come back to work. Yeah? And I fully understand when people, when youngsters or also uh, older people say, you know what, I would like to work from home one or two days a week. I think this is this can be even more efficient because they are sitting at home and it's quiet and they can really get inspiration from thinking and don't get disturbed. Yeah, but, it's that focus time, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. But 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 as important is culture, and culture I think is very difficult to develop via 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 the digital part. So I think mm-hmm. culture comes. With, with this five minutes which you spend on the coffee bar and where you talk about how is your family, how is your personal life, what is driving your business, etc. And this, at least myself, has not experienced in the digital world. In the digital world is more about matters of fact. Mm-hmm. It is very, very efficient, very small, but there is uh, the missing part for me is the, uh, the fun part. And I think this comes in the, in the business. And it's really important. Uh, so, so I would say, uh, I would give business advice. I would say, keep your people in the business for at least three days and mm-hmm. make sure that these days are more or less defined. Yeah. So not just somebody comes on Monday, Tuesday, and the next one comes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It is about building the team spirit and therefore to have a few days where everybody is in the office, I think is very important. Yeah, I, I guess that's where it's going now, isn't it? And yeah. uh, yes. Yeah, bringing. How how does team like you know you have built teams? I uh, you were talking about the licensing brand when you when you um, became the CEO there. Um, what do you look out for when you're building teams together? Uh, is it talent, for example? And I I just refer to that because this great resignation term is out there right now everyone is talking about it so how does a manager keep the talent pool together uh, what do you look out for when you're building teams and what is there a formula you follow i mean i mean knowledge is definitely very important but as important is diversity yeah and i'm very very happy this was also part of my decision here um, we are 160 employees here uh, in the head office, mm-hmm. and out of this 160 employees, we have 40 nationalities. Yeah, so it's very, very uh, diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the missing part is that we have, at the moment, we have 14 direct reports, you know, or I have 14 direct reports, and out of the 14 direct reports, we only have three women. 
Yeah, I would like to shift this to uh, se seven and seven. Yeah, uh, so this will be my next journey. But in regards to building an international team, building a team which has knowledge across all the big territories is a very, very important tool to be successful for a global brand, in my opinion. Yeah, bringing that perspective from different elements, isn't it? Yes. Which is fantastic. Uh, uh, one of the questions I had was also with regards to the landscape changing since again since covid yeah. and i guess it's also links back to when we were a part of hugo boss together during your tenure and then later in stefan the brand was shifting um, towards digitalization and i know it's one of your passions as well and yes. i guess covid has fast forwarded some of the elements uh, by a decade even if i may go so how is that how does that impact any retail brand are you seeing a change in the brick and mortar industry or is it going to stay the same like what trends are you seeing yeah, yeah. so so first of all i think the consumer and the customer for b2b businesses has changed dramatically they are much much better informed mm. they are much quicker in regards to price comparisons they are highly engaged with brands who are able to deliver a digital and a traditional journey. Yeah? And I think this is one part. Yeah? The second part, the second uh, very important topic is that sustainability has become a key element of, uh, of the demand. Yeah? Mm. And uh, I mean, look outside, it's at the moment it's 40 degrees. So I think we all realize the impact. And, and therefore, I think there is much, much more considerations on what is a brand responsible for and what do we need to do to at least stop the, um, yeah, to, 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 to stop the global warming. Yeah. And, and there is a third element is that uh, we definitely see that talent is not anymore as loyal towards brands than they have been when I started my career. Yeah? So I've been with the business uh, 22 years at Hugo Boss. And uh, today, when I look here at Alpha Tauri and Red Bull, we see that the workforce usually changes every four years. So this means you lose every year 25% of your people. And so these are the, the three elements I think leaders and companies need to monitor very, very closely. Hmm. Well, I, uh, it's quite an interesting way you put it, actually. Leaving every four years is 25% of your workforce leaving every year, which is so, I mean, it comes with its own challenges, isn't it? It's the knowledge, knowledge of your brand just walking away. Um, yeah. It's all those softer things, which, which, which are just going out in the, in the oh, wind. Absolutely. And when you, when you then know that you probably need a year to build your employees towards yes. a year, one and a half years to build your uh, employees to the level they need to have yeah this is definitely a a very very um very difficult challenge for everybody yeah so i i would definitely prioritize talent and people mm. yeah before profit and anything else because i think in the end this is which really drives your business and which helps you to grow and which helps you also then to deliver the profitability required yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating, Bern. Well, I would like to close with one traditional question we like to ask, which is, what is the biggest risk you have taken in your career? 
and what have you learned from it and could you <laughs> if you if you you know sometimes you look back and say and i'm glad i did it or you might say that oh my god why did i do this what what was it like following that no, the, the, the biggest risk was probably when I moved to the UK. Yeah, there were a few, <laughs> a, a few risks, and, and and I didn't see it as a risk. Yeah, but uh, it was the CEO didn't believe in big growth. Mm. I had to move my family, so my wife had to give up a job, and my daughter, she was two years old, she just started to really speak German, and then we moved her into into the UK, and. Um, and in the beginning, this was not easy for all of us. Yeah, so it was. I had to make the transformation in the UK, yeah, which I and I was not an experienced retailer, so it was also for me learning day by day. My wife uh, needed to readjust from being professional to being a mother, and my daughter, who spoke German, needed to fight her way in the kindergarten. Yeah, so it was definitely there was a lot of complexity. But now, uh, ten years after or twelve years after. I think if the three of us look back, yeah, we are extremely pleased to live in London. Yeah, I commute at the moment between Salzburg and uh, and um, and London. It it has been for me personally, but also in the business, a very successful time. Yeah, and uh, my wife has found so many new friends, has found new hobbies, and is now uh, working in charities. Is uh, teaching at the universities. So it has been a big change, but it has been a very positive change for all of us. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's absolutely yes. fantastic when you look back and you're like, why did I do it? But then you see all these things because at the time, sometimes you start questioning, don't you? Yes, like, yes, yes. Why yes. am I doing this to myself? When, <laughs> yes. when I came from uh, Mumbai to London, I had those times where I would be like, why did I do it? I had a set life there. Why am I here? And then you look back <laughs> and you're like, oh, thank God I did it. <laughs> thank God I stuck through it. So, but Bern, thank you so much for your time uh, and taking time oh, yes, you. to speak to us. And uh, let's keep in touch and see what happens at Definitely. Red Bull. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and all the best for you and the family. Thank you so much, Bernd. It was an absolute pleasure. I mean, I've listened to you uh, for years before this. I've known the story, I've been a part of that story, of that journey, but I'm still mesmerized. I'm still listening. I'm still learning from every bit of words you've, you've said today and shared with us today. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today at Business of Building. Please rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues so they can know about this show and share the love. Thank you. Thank you.